Second Kings, if I'm not mistaken, chapter 18. Let's go over there together. And we pick it up in the middle of a story that we uh, left off in uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, last week we had our National Day of Prayer service. Uh, but the week prior to that, we began chapter 18. And one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, this whole story about the victory over the Assyrians is recorded in the book of Isaiah, the book of Second Kings, and also in Chronicles. And if you remember, last time we saw in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, the commitment, and then in verses 9 through 12, the captivity, and then in verses 13 through 16, we saw the compromise. Tonight, we will cover the combat, you know, and we're going to talk about how that we're in a battle, you know, we really are. And, uh, you know, as Christians, praise God that the war is over, that we've won the war in Christ. You know, if you receive the Lord as your Savior, as your Master, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Him, it's so cool to know that that war is over. But along the way, there are so many battles to be fought. And even in the process, I believe, you know, that you always have to abide in the Lord, man. You always have to stay in the Lord. There's a lot of people that, you know, they would come to church and, you know, we see it over the years. I've been a Christian now for um, a long time, like 20-something years. And uh, maybe you guys can attest to this, but, you know, you see some people coming to church and they're serving the Lord and they even involve in ministry. And then, you know, a year goes by, two years go by, the fire dies. Next thing you know, they're not serving anymore. Next thing you know, they're not coming to midweek anymore. Next thing you know, uh, they're not reading their Bibles anymore. They're not praying anymore. Next thing you know, whatever, something happens. They're not going on Sundays anymore. Next thing you know, they fall away. You know, and, you know, some people say, well, then they were never saved or then they're fine. You know what? You go and you, you debate that with your friends. But you know what? I know what I see and I know that there is a warning that needs to be heeded. We need to abide in the Lord. And if anything, our fire should be growing stronger as Christians. And if it's not, then I'm, I was always taught this. If you're not growing in the Lord, then you're backsliding. You got to be growing in the Lord. You got to be having a passion for him, serving him. And, and so, you know, there's a battle going on. And, you know, of course, we know that that battle is for you. I've been a Christian now since 1989, and I can tell you this, that I love spending time with the Lord. I love reading my Bible. When I read my Bible, God speaks to me. And even though I study it to teach it, I still have my own devotional time where I wake up in the morning and I read the Bible and He speaks to me. And I write things down and then I look them over and God is always sharing things with me. And if you're reading your Bible and God's not speaking to you, don't blame it on God. That means there's something wrong with your heart. You know, I believe that God is always speaking to us. Unless we're living in, you know, persistent sin, God is always speaking to us. The, the problem is a lot of times we, will, we just don't listen. We go our devotional time, we read our Bible, and we're not really expecting God to speak to us. We play Bible bingo, or the today I read here and tomorrow I read there, and, and we're not reading through the Bible. You know, read through your Bible. Read through your Bible. You should have read through your Bible. You know, if you've been a Christian, you know, a couple of years, you should have read, have read from Genesis to Revelation. I just want to encourage you guys, man, because I've seen so many people make excuses and they blame it on the Lord and they blame it on the church and you shouldn't do that. You know, you have as much of God as you want. He's not holding himself back from you. But see, what we have to do is we have to seek him with everything. That's what the Bible says. Seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And if you do, the promise is you will find him. See, but we have to do that seriously because it's a battle for your soul. It's a battle for you going to heaven or going to hell. It really is. And that's a serious battle. And if you're a father, it's a battle for you and your wife and your children. You know, if you're married, there's the battle. We're fighting for this, you guys. And we got to know how to fight. We got to know we have a real enemy that's always working. We have to have wisdom as Christians. You know, we've been walking with the Lord for how long now? You know, and and are we, do we know how to fight? We should know how to fight. We really should. We got to get in the Word. We got to get in prayer. We got to stay in fellowship. If there's any sin in my life, if there's any sin in my life, I get rid of it. 
You know, I'm not going to hold on to that. Why would I want anything to come between me and my relationship with God? Sometimes people choose a boyfriend or they choose a girlfriend or they're living in sexual sin. I talk to my son and my, my son's all, Dad, that doesn't happen in our church because we have a small church. And I, I said, <laughs> you know, we have a, you know, our church is okay. I mean, we're not that small, you know, but, but you know, comparison to others, yeah, but there's people living in sexual sin here. And the Bible says that if you're living in sexual sin, you will not go to heaven. That's what it says. No fornicator is going to go to heaven. Yeah, but I went to church. Yeah, but I do the altar call. Yeah, but I read my Bible. Yeah, but you're living in unrepentant sexual sin. You've got to make a choice. Will you serve the Lord or will you continue to live your own life? And it doesn't matter. It could be other things. There's other sins, you know, that people are, are caught up in and, and they're deceived into thinking that they know the Lord when really they, they don't. And the enemy is just ripping them off. When you let go of the sin, then God begins to do a great work in your life. I've seen it over the years. And even in my own life, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time now. And God is drawing me closer. God is bringing me to a place of of more of a surrender to Him. Because I don't want anything to get in the way of what God wants to do in me. What God wants to do in my family. What God wants to do in the flock. And so the Holy Spirit, he puts his finger on things and he says, hey, this and this and this. And I say, "Okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I do not want to sin because I love him. I mean, he died for me. You know, it's not just, you know, so you don't go to hell. There is that fear of God. It's a healthy fear of God. But, you know, I love him because he died for me on that cross. You guys, and we got to know that that's got to be our our motivation to want to please him. Don't worry about pleasing people. A lot of times people, they get, they get almost, it's almost like a, it's a torture that they want to please people. No, you guys, we should have it in our heart to please the Lord. And when we do, man, we're going to have a peace that surpasses understanding. It's so cool when you live like that. And so here tonight, we're going to look at this combat because uh, look at verse 17, 2 Kings 18. It says, And then the king of Assyria sent uh, the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So what had happened was, if you read just a little before this, uh, King Hezekiah paid off uh, the Assyrian king with 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. You know, they had come against him, and he said, here, let me give you some money. And he said, that'll take care of my problem, right? But it didn't make the enemy stay away. See, a lot of times we think, well, if I just make more money, my spiritual problems will disappear. And that's not true. You know, money is the answer, right? How many of you think money is the answer, you know? And so what ends happening, the king of Assyria, he sends his chief commander, his chief officer, his chief of staff back to Jerusalem where they call for the king of Israel, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah sends his representatives, his house steward, his scribe and recorder to meet with them. You know, and what happens here physically happens to people spiritually. Remember when Elisha, you know, was there and uh, he, he, he said, hey, Lord, will you open my, my, my right hand? Open his eyes. Let him see. And when his eyes were opened, do you remember? He saw like they were surrounded with these angels, you know, these chariots of fire, how God had given him the spiritual vision of what was surrounding him. And, you know, I would have a feeling that, you know, if we were to see, if our eyes could see right now the spiritual realm, do you know that you would see angels here? You would see demons here? Do you know that in certain junctures of your life where life is is tougher, if you could see, you would see you were surrounded by demons? Imagine that. The enemy just wants to take you down. Right now, he's attacking you. 
There are some people like that, you know? And and right here we see it physically. They're surrounded. And so, you know, the enemy sends his representatives. Hezekiah sends his guys. And this is what happens in verse 19. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, Wait a minute, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now, therefore, I I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? He said, the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. What's he doing here, you guys? What are the enemies of Israel, the enemies of Jerusalem? What are these representatives of the king of Assyria? What are they doing right here? They're telling them, you have no hope. You are facing an absolutely impossible situation. You know, right here, he's trying to intimidate them. The enemy strikes fear into our hearts, and he wants the people of God to surrender. You know, I always tell people, I always tell this, the only way you can lose is if you give up. That's the only way you can lose. If you simply surrender to the enemy. You see, these guys right here, they're not dumb. They're brilliant, really, in their wickedness. You know, the Rabshakeh right here is at the aqueduct speaking to the leaders of Hezekiah's government, and he was there there basically to see if he could make them quit. Uh, The Assyrians had the better army. There's no doubt about it. Uh, If you think about it, they could have just attacked, right? They could have just attacked Jerusalem um, but here's the thing. The king of Assyria and Rabshakeh would prefer it if Judah would simply give up. Right? I mean, they could attack. They could fight. Some of their guys will die. It'll cost them a little money. But I tell you what, it'd be much, much easier if the Jews just gave up. Out of fear, discouragement, despair, hopelessness. You know, and so he hits them hard. And, uh, you know, if you took at it from simply human perspective, in one sense, he makes a lot of sense. Look at verse 20 again. You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And here's such a great question. And in whom do you trust? Who do you trust? You Do you trust Egypt? You can go down there, maybe get some chariots, some tanks. You can get some soldiers, maybe, you know. I mean, seriously, in our life, as we're facing the battles, we're facing these things, we're facing these trials. And if you're not in a trial, um, then that means you're getting ready to get into a trial, you know, if you're a Christian, right? Because, you know, those that's how we grow when we go through the hard times. Lord, I don't want any hard times. Well, then you're never going to grow. But when you go through the trials with your eyes on the Lord and he flexes his muscles and shows you how great he is, then you will grow. But when you're there, a lot of times the enemy just, man, you know it, he he makes you give up. Some people commit suicide. Some people lag and they they fall into a, a, a serious depression. Some people fall away. I've seen it over the years. I mean, they come to church, they're doing good. Next thing you know, they're gone. Because they gave up. They gave up. They're not serving the Lord anymore. Why? Because they, in all reality, they did not trust God. They trusted someone else. And I tell you this right now, if you trust in anyone else, you will be let down. Promise you. 
You know, don't put your trust in men. Don't put that type of pressure on them. They will never live up to your, you know, perfect expectations. Nobody will. We can't be that way with each other. If you trust in the Lord and you trust in the Lord and you trust in the Lord and I trust in the Lord, then we're going to be good. In whom do you trust? I pray that you would really, truly trust in the Lord. You know, he says it's impossible. There's no one in this world you can trust. And, you know, that's true. Uh, the Rabshakeh brings up Egypt, and he's right, you know, because we can't trust in Egypt. You guys, what does Egypt represent? Egypt represents the world, the whole wide world, the counsel of the world, the wisdom of the world. You cannot trust in Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. But we can trust in the Lord, right? But it's funny. Look at verse 22. He says we can't. He says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Jude in Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? He says, you know, the problem what's here, you guys, is that you can't trust in the Lord. And you want to know why? Because your leader. Your leader, Hezekiah, he's all messed up. Hezekiah, your leader, he broke down the altars and all the different cities and high places. He took down those high places. And remember, we talked about this. And it's true that Hezekiah did take away those high places. We saw it back in chapter 18, verse 4. But there is a good reason for that. Now, remember, the high places were all those other, you know, places throughout the land where they, some of them, yes, yes, they did worship the Lord there. Most of the time they served their pagan gods. But, yeah, you know, they would sometimes, you know, go through periods where they worshiped the Lord there. But that was a compromise. When Hezekiah did what was right, he had to take away all those altars and come back to the Lord because they were supposed to worship the Lord in the temple of God in Jerusalem. So what is this liar saying now? He's misrepresenting Hezekiah. And he's saying, hey, you can't trust your leader. Right? And he's just tearing him down. He's tearing him down. He's just saying, hey, Hezekiah, you know, he took all those, you know, altars down. You can't trust the Lord because of the fact that your leader's messed up, and you can't trust the Lord because he says, secondly, he's leading us. Look at verse 25. Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. You know, you guys, and I'll, let me just share this with you. Sometimes the enemy, he, he gets us because he convinces us in thinking that we deserve it. You know, I, I, I've messed up, Lord. And, and then the enemy comes in and he says, you certainly have, right? And you know what? God is now against you. And so what's happening now, you deserve it, right? And, and you know, that's why it's so important that, that you're in tune with the Lord. You have to be able to hear the voice of God in your life as a Christian, or you will be destroyed. If you're going through life as a Christian, you don't have a clue of what God's doing in your life. You don't have any type of personal relationship with Him. You know, with me, like I mentioned to you earlier, it's my devotional life, where, I'm, where I wake up in the morning and I spend time with the Lord, and I tell my wife, no, not right now. I'm talking to God, you know. He's talking to me. You know, things like that, where you just, man, Jesus would send people away. And so he could be alone with his father. And when you're there, it's so cool. The Lord speaks to you. But most of the church, most of the church, they don't have that. They don't. They don't have, they, they can't say what God's ministering to them because they're not seeking the Lord that way. But our God's a personal God and he will speak to you if you listen. And if he's disciplining you, then he'll tell you why. Right? How many of you parents here, would you ever spank your child? For no reason. No, you wouldn't, right? God would never do that either. And if you spanked your child, you give them that trancaso, right? Um, they would know why. You would probably tell them why. Don't you think the Lord is the same way? I mean, if he's going to discipline you, he'll tell you why. He says, this is what you're doing in your life wrong. 
and you need to get right. And I've been talking to you about it, but you won't change. See, what ends up happening is the enemy comes in and he just, man, he tries to take away the things that we stand on, that you can't trust the Lord. You know, he says it's impossible for you. The situation that you're in is impossible. Even if we gave you horses so that you had a cavalry, you don't even have enough riders to fight the fight. Whatever you do, you guys, don't allow the enemy to take away your trust in the Lord. Don't. You know, for all of us here, for all of us here, I believe God has a calling on our life. For all of us here, there is something that he still has us on planet Earth to do. It begins with our family. and We take care of our family. And then, you know, sometimes it spills over into other areas of ministry and wider areas of ministry. But whatever that is, I want to encourage you to make sure that you know you have the victory in Christ. You know, don't allow the enemy to come in and strip you of the trust that you need to have in the Lord. You know, he just wants you to lose heart. He wants you to give up. That's what happened to Judas. Judas gave up and he hung himself. That's what happened to Demas. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, Paul said, because now he loves this present world and he has departed. These are guys that gave up. One killed himself, the other left the ministry. See, that's all the devil wants to do. You know, many of us picture Satan as itching for a fight with us, you know, and he wants to go toe-to-toe. When really Satan doesn't want to do battle with you, um, first of all, here's the thing. When Satan does battle with you, there's a good chance that you might win, right? Um, So he doesn't want to fight, you know, he'd rather not. And then secondly, you know, win or lose, the battle might draw you closer to God, right? I mean, he'd rather have you give up because if you fight, you might win. And if you fight, win or lose, you might learn lessons and grow closer to God. And then thirdly, another reason why he would rather not have you fight, because if you do fight, then what might happen is you might be a testimony to other people. Let me share this with you. Do you realize that the struggles that you're going through in life are not just for you? Do you realize that people are watching you? They're watching you through your trial. And if you stay strong, you are witness. You're witness to them. That's why the devil doesn't want you to fight. He just wants you to give up. And that's the strategy that we see here. And we even see it was used against Jesus during the temptation in the wilderness when Satan said, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. All you have to do is worship me. And he wanted to kind of avoid the fight. And he tried to talk Jesus into giving up in Luke 4, 5 through 8. It didn't work with Jesus and it shouldn't work with us. See, here we see the enemy trying to discourage the king. I can get the leader, right? But not only does he try to discourage the king, he tries to discourage the crowd. Look at verse 26. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? See, the enemy will target the leaders. Uh, He will target the king. But he'll also target the crowd. The enemy lies to the leading men, but he also lies to all the men. The enemy will go after the pastor. The enemy will go after the people. And he tries to strike fear into our hearts. And so these guys from Jerusalem, they say, hey, don't speak, you know, in Hebrew, speak in Aramaic. That was the diplomatic language of the day. Speak in Aramaic so that they won't understand. But, you know, these guys right here, they say, hey, you know what? Um, As a matter of fact, uh, they need to hear how they will eat and drink their own waste. And when we besiege them. And when we surround them, right, they wouldn't give them an inch on that. And, and you know, the enemy will try to destroy 
you know, families that way. He'll just try to destroy churches that way. I'll try for the leaders. If I can't get the leaders, I'll try to get to the congregation. If I can get to the congregation, maybe they can muster up, you know, enough rebellion to stone their leader. That's what happened in the book of Exodus when the enemy tried to get the people. Moses, you know, he was a great leader. I mean, here was a man who, when God said, I'll wipe them out and I'll make a new nation of you, Moses. Moses said, no, Lord, no. And he fell on his face. He interceded for the people. I mean, here was a man who loved the people. And every time God said, hey, let me get them, you know, he would just, boom, he would pray for them. But, you know, whenever they didn't get things their way and whenever they didn't understand what Moses was doing, they would start complaining against Moses, complaining against Aaron. We read in the book of Exodus 17, 3 through 4, And the people thirsted there for water and the complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? No, Moses was leading them to the promised land. But they complained against him. And so Moses then cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. See, the enemy will go after the leaders. He'll go after everybody, right? And that's what they're doing right here. And so they say, hey, no, don't speak to them in Hebrew. You know, talk to them in Spanish. You know, talk to them in our, our language or whatever. You know, and so he says, no way, man. And what does he do? He cranks up the volume. Look at verse 28. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one of you from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and then take you away to a land like your land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered it? land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Or where are the gods of Sepharvim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word for the king's commandment was do not answer him. And so, you know, Rabshakeh, he, he, you know, he stood and called out with a loud voice. He, he turns up the volume. And, uh, man, he really wants to get his message in their heads. I can just get in their head. Let me just get in their head. Let me just get in their heart. Let me get in their heart. And the devil has not changed his tactics for 6,000 years because they are very effective. He is a liar. He is just a liar. And so what does he say? Don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to him. He says that in verse 31. Do not listen. Verse 32. Do not listen. Verse 29. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He won't deliver you and neither will the Lord deliver you. Have any of the other gods and all the other lands delivered them? You know, notice there in verse 31, if you would, um, what it says. Oh, it's not verse 31. Oh, yeah, verse 31. Look at, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me. See, that's the agenda of the enemy. Make peace with me. Right? Pay me tribute, and, you know, he's there trying to get to the congregation to come against their king. He says, hey, if you make peace with me, then every one of you will have your own, uh, your own vine, and every one of you, your own fig tree. And every one of you would drink water from his own cistern. Now that right there is kind of like the e epitome terminology of a utopia 
for the Jew. You know? Imagine having your own vine, your own fig tree. You can make fig newtons, you know, whenever you wanted it, right? I mean, you know, to have your own cistern where, you know, you could have water. I mean, that was, this is huge. This was their, this was their dream, right? And the enemy offered it all to them. He says, hey, if you just make peace with me, you can have all this. And then, you know, he paints this picture of paradise. And he says, hey, rise up. You don't need to follow your leader. You don't need to follow the Lord. I've got a better plan for you. Because what you're trying to do, to be honest with you, is totally impossible. He says, make peace with me. And he says, and then, uh, and then the day will come where I'll take you to a great land. You know, it's a land like your land, but it's even, it's even better. And what's the enemy doing? He makes all these promises. You know, I've seen girls, um, you know, they get swept away by some guy. And he's a nice guy, maybe, um, you know, from a worldly perspective. And he offers them everything. You know, and here they are. They've been struggling for how many years? And now they meet a guy. And he's got, like, you know, this really cool car. He's buff. And uh, he has a house. He has a, a job. I mean, you know, unlike a lot of the knuckleheads they've met up to this point. You know, and none of these Christian guys seem to be, you know, busting the move. I don't know what their problem is, right? And a lot of times... Uh, these Christian girls, they get swept away by what the enemy says. Hey, I've got this this plan for you, you know. And I, even you know, talking to young men, you know, and it's like, okay, um, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I know, like when I got saved, I didn't know what I was going to do in my life. I didn't know how I was going to provide for a family. I didn't, but I did this. I just sought the Lord. I knew Matthew 6.33 was real. Where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, the enemy will do anything just to get you off track. To where the Lord is no longer the passion of your life. To where the Lord is no longer number one. You know, and he offers you all these other, you know, options, sometimes even dreams. You know, of course, guys can be swept away by a girl, and it works both ways. And we can, say, chase after money or, you know, you name it. You know, and I just want to encourage you, be so careful. That's what he's doing right here. He's, he's totally lying to them. You know, being a Christian is hard. It has its challenges. But... Being a non-Christian is much harder. It's much harder. And it's fun for a season, you know, whenever you start, you're like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. And next thing you know, it, it, you know, the fun starts running out. And next thing you know, um, there's a void in your heart that cannot be filled because that void can only be filled. With God. You know, the enemy paints a pretty picture. You know, how does he uh, advertise alcohol? You know, you see the commercials on TV. What do you see? Like, if you go and get drunk, you know, you're going to get, like, whatever. You know, the, you know you're going to get the pretty girl. You're going to get the nice car. You're going to have a big smile. You'll have a tan. And um, if you, you know, go drink, you're going to stay young forever, Right? I mean, before, and this is before, I'm aging myself, they used to have uh, commercials for cigarettes. It goes back a, a while. And I know the Marlboro Man. Do you guys remember the Marlboro Man? He was, you know, tough and on his horse and, you know, really looked like, uh, you know, the guy that every guy wants to be, kind of. And uh, they would never show him, you know, with lung cancer, right? And that's the way the enemy is. You know, he gives you options. Just go away from God's plan. You know, I got this thing for you. And man, I'll tell you what. When the Assyrians took people away, it would never be like this. They would put a hook. They would cut off your arm. They would gouge out an eye. They would dismember you. They would cut off heads. They would put, and then they would take you to their land. These guys are just lying. But, you know, they wanted to bring them to that place of what? That place of surrender. 
See, he says there in verse 31, make peace with me. Make peace with me. But I love what they did. It says they, look at verse 36, the people held their peace. They held their peace. And they answered him not a word. They didn't enter into the dialogue with the devil. They didn't, you know, try to argue with him. You know, it's not only useless, it's dangerous to try to match wits with the logic of Lucifer. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm a pretty smart person. Tell you what, you're not as smart as he is. And you start arguing with the devil and you start going toe-to-toe with Lucifer, man, you're going to be in big trouble. It's better to keep silent and trust God instead of trying to win an argument with Satan or any of his servants. In Epi Meyer, he said, silence is our best reply to the allegations and taunts of our foes. He said, be still, O persecuted soul. Hand over thy cause to God. It is useless to argue, even in many cases, to give explanations. Be still and commit thy cause to God. You know, we want to talk and we want to dialogue and we want to go in there and just, you know, I could reason with, you know, the enemy. You can't. He'll take you and he'll turn you into a theological pretzel. And then he'll put salt and cheese on you and eat you. Okay? (laughs) You're not smart enough, and I know I'm not either. A lot of times, a lot of times, the best thing is, I'm not saying anything. You know, I've learned that with my wife. I've learned that with my kids. I'm not saying anything bad about them, you know, because a lot of times I'm the one that's to blame, and I've, you know, created this whole thing. All I'm saying is that I love the way that they, they held their peace, and and what ended up happening? Isn't that cool? The way the expression is, they held their peace. You know what I mean? They held their peace. And that's what we need to do. Because when we start opening our mouth, sometimes start talking to the devil. Sometimes you have anything but peace. See. And so this fight. Number one, don't give up. Number one, don't give up. Number two, pray pray it says right here in verse 37 then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah who was over the house note Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh and so it was when Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Um, I don't know for sure if I've ever been there. But I will admit, like, sometimes a thought will, like, race through my mind. You know, I don't know if that's me dwelling on it or if the enemy just kind of plants something, you know, to give up. You know, like I've told you guys before, you know, there's no hiding it. There are some times where I wish I was a plumber instead of a pastor, you know. Um, there were those days where you go through hard times and you say, man, if I had it to do it all over again, I, would, I wouldn't have chose this. You know, but have you ever been there where you want to give up? Maybe it's in the ministry. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with, you know, your kids or I don't know, something going on. And, And all I'm saying is when you're surrounded by the enemy, when he's coming at you full force, number one, don't give up. Don't give up. You keep going. You keep reading your Bible. You keep praying. You keep going to church. You keep trusting the Lord. You keep trying to live an obedient life. Don't give up. Number two, look up. Pray. That's what they do right here. They come with clothes torn and, and sackcloth. Okay, that's not a fashion statement. Just in case you're wondering, I saw the I Love Lucy the other day. And you guys remember the one where she was wearing like burlap sack? Yeah. Okay, this is not a fashion statement, okay? You know what this is, you guys? This is seriously 
seriously seeking the Lord to where, you know, you're not playing church. You're not playing games. You are really praying. And I just say that because I think there's a lot of times where people are not seriously seeking the Lord. They're not seriously praying. And then, you know, they blame it on God. You know, what's wrong with God? And God is just saying, you know what? I have so much more for you. And you're living off this and you shouldn't be. Why will you not seek me with all your heart just like you're supposed to? That's what these guys are doing. Clothes torn, sackcloth, and they go into the house of the Lord. And we don't have to come now to a building. Now we have the temple of God within us. We can just, man, fall on our face at our house or wherever we are and seriously seek the Lord. You know, he took it to the Lord. Hezekiah went to the Lord. It's interesting. If you go over to verse 14 of this same chapter, because we're going to see that it goes to this whole roundabout journey. And, he, and then, you know, the guy leaves. He sends him a letter. And then he does the same thing. I just want to, you know, emphasize the point of prayer. And Hezekiah, verse 14, received a letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands, have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. You know, he took it to the Lord. You know, really took it to the Lord. You know, he went into the house of the Lord. He takes the letter, spreads it out before the Lord, right? And he did this seriously. Number two, he prayed biblically. He's the gracious God. He's the only God. He's the creator God. He's the hearing God. He's the seeing God. He's our God. He's the saving God. It's all for your glory, God. This is seriously praying. This is biblically praying. Have you taken it to the Lord? Have you really taken it to the Lord? I have a feeling that there's a lot of Christians that do not pray the way they should. And it's such a shame. I mean, we should be on our knees. We should be weeping. We should be on our face. We should be seeking God because he's such an awesome God. Those other gods, they're not real gods. We have the living God who made everything that we can pray to. And that's why we've got to know his word and we've got to pray according to his word. He's the God who sees and hears. He made everything. See, that's how he took it to the Lord. And then I also like the way he took it to Isaiah to pray to the Lord. You know, we saw that in chapter 19. They know that he says, hey, uh, um, you know, go to the prophet Isaiah. And like I told you before, probably part of the reason why Hezekiah was such a godly man is because he had a friend named Isaiah who was a prophet who loved the Lord. And he said, hey, Isaiah, will you pray for us? You guys, when you're doing battle, when you're doing battle, you seriously take it to the Lord and it's okay for you. Um, Notice he went to the house of the Lord first, right? And he does the second time he doesn't even go to Isaiah, but the first time he goes to the house of the Lord And then he sends it to Isaiah. So first go to God. But once you have gone to God, then you're free to go to other people. It's then you're free. Hey, will you pray for me? Will you pray for this situation that I'm in, right? And that's what we see. The Bible talks about, you know, agreeing in prayer. Matthew 18, 19. If any of two or three, you know, you guys agree, it's going to be done. Not that... God's our genie, but he knows the power of prayer. You know, do you know anybody who's a prayer warrior? You know, uh, it's kind of cool. You know, we ask our kids. I ask my kids whenever I'm desperate, pray for me, especially when they're little. Now it's a little different, but, you know, especially when they're little. 
You know, but we see in the Bible frequently people asking for prayer. Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, pray for us. Hebrews 13.18, pray for us. The importance of asking for prayer and the importance of meeting for prayer. You know, hey, can we get together and pray? I am going through a heavy situation. Some people give up and you haven't even tried yet. You haven't even sought the Lord yet. You haven't asked people to pray for you yet. You haven't been going to prayer meetings yet. Why would you want to give up? You're not fighting. You got to pray. The importance of prayer meetings. In Luke chapter 1, verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Had a whole bunch of people. That's when the angel of Gabriel came. The church was birthed during a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. In Acts 3, 1, Peter and John, they would go to the temple for prayer at the hour of prayer. Remember in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, the Bible says, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. See? I mean, even recently, there was this guy who was facing his third strike. He thought he was going to get life in prison. Nothing looked good. It was so bleak. But man, they started praying and they started asking others to pray and they seriously prayed. God did an amazing work. But see, this is how we fight. We gotta, you don't want to know why we got to pray seriously? Because it's a serious situation. You know, when we're up here preaching, we're up here doing worship, we're up here serving in the Lord, there are people out here and I don't know, man, some of, there might be someone here who doesn't even know the Lord and you're headed for hell. How will you be saved? Some man can't save you. Only God can save you. There's some here and the enemy is over there. He's on, around the corner and he is scheming and he is planning and he is going to attack you. How will you win against the enemy? Man can't make you win. Man can't give you the victory. It doesn't matter if it's Billy Graham, you know, and they clone him a hundred times. There's no man who can give you the victory. Only the Lord. You know, we have serious situations. I see the enemy. I see me. I mean, man, we got some big things we have to overcome. You know, one of the things that's kind of cool is the way that uh, Hezekiah was um, honest Right here he said, um, look at verse um, verse 3, chapter 19, verse 3. Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. You know what he was saying right there? I mean, it would be like a, a lady. My heart goes out to you ladies because you give birth to kids. And it hurts, huh? It probably hurts. And so imagine you're going through your labors and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're screaming and, you know, it, it's hurting. And then, you know, you, you just, I don't know. I don't think this would ever happen to you. But imagine, you know, this is literally in the Hebrew, the baby's in the birth canal. And the mom just says, I can't do it anymore. I can't push. I can't try. I have no strength left. That's what he's saying right here. Isaiah is saying. That's what Hezekiah is saying. Even though he loved the Lord so much, he was saying to Isaiah, pray for me. Pray for us. Because we're right here. And to be honest with you, I don't have any strength left. Pray for me. You know, a leader... You know, I know myself, I've been in similar situations. And I think that I'm blessed because I do have a church. Most of them pray for me. Some of them don't. That's okay. May God get you if you don't. No, I'm just joking. But, um, you know, who do I go to for prayer? You know, I feel funny going to someone in the congregation saying, Hey, I have no strength left. Will you pray for me? But I have friends. I have a pastor. I go to them. I remember one time I was at Bible college and I just felt, after I was done teaching a class, I felt like I was going to collapse. But, you know, there's these three 
four pastors over there at Golden Springs. They just caught me at the right time. Prayed for me. I went over to Dale. I said, you got to pray for me. We all have to have that. Sometimes we go through those hard times where we have nothing left. That's what Hezekiah was saying to Isaiah. And so they, they prayed, and God answered. Look at verse 6. Well, verse 5, it says, So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. And that's just, you know, that's what the Lord always says to us. Amen? Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. He said, Surely I'm going to send a spirit upon him, and he shall rumor, hear a rumor and return to his own land and will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warned against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning uh, Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, Look, he has come out to make war with you. And so he again sent messengers to Hezekiah. So, you know, these guys are going to take off. God answers the prayer. But look at, he sends a letter. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Aran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of, that's funny, Arpad, huh? The king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva. You know, and you guys know the difference, huh? All those gods, were they real? Is your God real? Is your God real? Is your God real? Are you sure? Do you know this? Do you know this? I pray your faith would be stronger. Your God is real. These are just false gods. This guy doesn't have a clue. So Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger. He read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he just spread it before the Lord. You see? It's so cool to see the way that the Lord, he answers prayer. And right now, we we read this prayer of Hezekiah. And it's so cool to know that as we do battle, um, we have to, number one, never give up. Number two, we got to look up in prayer to the Lord. Number three, we have to hang on to the promises of the Lord. Look what you read in this chapter right here. As Hezekiah went and he prayed, it's such a beautiful prayer. In verse 20, Then Isaiah the son of Amos, they sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And I just really want to highlight that, you guys, because you have prayed. He didn't pray, you know, flippantly, nonchalantly. He prayed passionately. He prayed biblically. He prayed seriously. Because he prayed, then this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Now, this is kind of a play on history because what would have happened if the Assyrians got in there? They would have raped the women. They would have raped them. But now the virgin daughters are the ones that are, you know, having confidence. Hey, that's the play on words. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed against? Whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon, and I will cut down its tall cedars. Now that right there, they're not going to go in there and cut trees. Okay, it's not about trees. This is about leaders. This is about great men. They said, we're going to go in there. We're going to cut all those guys down. I will enter the extremity of its borders to the fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water. And with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. If you get a chance to read Isaiah 10, it was always the Lord. Assyria was only a, a pawn in the hands of God. 
Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. Have you guys ever had house grass on your on the housetop? I'm the only one. Huh? I remember. Yeah, it's terrible. I had to go in there and you know take care of it. But you know, supposedly it's just saying it's not supposed to last, right? He says, but I know your dwelling place, you're going out, you're coming in. In other words, God says, I know everything about you and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I'm going to put a hook in your nose and my bridle on your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as... Now he's talking to Israel. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year which springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. I love that, you guys. I love that. Because... You know, for a lot of you here, you need to get rooted. I mean, you're so easily swayed to the left and the right. What happened to the roots that you need to bear down so that no matter what comes, come hell or high water, you won't be swayed. Not only do you need root down, but you need fruit up. And we know what fruit is. Fruit is moral fruit. Fruit is ministry fruit. We should be different people. We should be loving people. Peaceful, right? All the fruit listed in Galatians 9. We should be, you know, bearing fruit in the ministry. People should be coming to the Lord through our lives. You know, when was the last time you led someone to the Lord? When was the last time someone got saved through you winning souls? And then a lot of times people, they're not doing anything. They're not doing any of that. And they criticize. It's crazy. We need to bear fruit. We need to, you know, have roots. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. And it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And, you know, in a practical way, you guys, here's the thing. You're in the battle. Okay, don't quit. Keep going. Okay, number two, pray like you mean it. Okay, stop playing games in your prayer life. Pray, seriously. Number three, hang on to the promises of God. What is this right here? What is all this that we just read? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. As you read your Bible, God speaks to you. As you read your Bible, you get the promises of God. As you listen, God tells you the situations that you're in, and he tells you what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And you hold on to those promises. I go through every day. I always write down scriptures every single day. And not just what I'm teaching. I write down the scriptures. And then what I do, I put a highlight before the ones that are speaking to me in the very situations that I'm going through. And then I go back and I read those ones. And then sometimes I hear something and and I'll just say, hey, that's for me. That's how we're going to do battle. We have to never give up. We have to pray like we mean it. And we have to be in the word. In this word, hanging on the promises of God. So important that we really saturate ourselves. Because see, if we, you know, really live with prayer and if we live in the promises, then we're going to experience the power. And that's what happens right here in verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. And so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. See? What is it that you need? What is it that I need? I need the power of God. 
I need the power of God. I, I really do. I'm, I'm only going to find that is if I don't give up and if I pray and if I'm in the Word of God. Then the power of God. And you know, the Lord does it in different ways. Sometimes He just takes care of the situation. Sometimes He sends an individual or maybe an angel or a messenger. He can use people as well. But man, He takes care of it. And when He gave them the victory over the Assyrians, think about that one angel uh, wiping out 185,000 Assyrians. Why? Because they prayed. We should ask, how many blessings, how many victories, how many souls saved for Jesus' glory lie unclaimed because we have not prayed? What's more important? You know, the Lord's not going to win with, you know, oh, I want more money or whatever it is. I don't know what it is that you look to. Hosea one seven says, Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, will not save them by bow nor sword of battle, by horses or horsemen. God said, I will save them. And so we see. It's so cool, huh? Don't you guys like that? 185,000 Assyrians. I wonder how God did it. It's amazing, man. And the Lord will give you a great victory. You know, there's an old Jewish legend, and it says that Sennacherib's sons killed him for this reason. Because after the angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrians, Sennacherib went home and he said, Wow, you know, what is it about these Jewish people that, you know, their God is, is so, so great? And so he started researching into it. And then he, he thought about, Well, this is the one that stands out to me. I heard the story about Abraham how he was going to sacrifice his son. He's the founder of these people. I'm going to do what Abraham did. I'm going to sacrifice my son. As a matter of fact, I'm going to sacrifice both my sons. And what ended up happening? His sons killed him before he killed them. God is amazing. huh? God gets the victory here. And what we see, you guys, in this story that's repeated three times in the Bible, it says, Manny... You're a knucklehead. Okay, I'm going to tell you again and again and again. This is what you need to do, son. And it's so cool. Last week, I, I gave you a poem uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to read it to you one more time. Because, you know, I'm not saying that the Lord always heals us or the Lord always, you know, whatever, gives us the hummer, whatever it is that you're thinking about. But you know what? If he doesn't give me the hummer, do you know that he's going to give me something better. Do you guys know that? I love my truck. I I really do. I love it. And you know what? If that's what the Lord wants me to have, then it's, it's better. I promise you, um, whatever it is in our life, whatever it is, we got to trust him. We got to trust him, you guys. And and, it, and I think even, you know, not a lot of us here. Well, pretty good Thursday night crowd. I'm proud of you uh, for coming out. If we just think if we really trusted the Lord, you and you and you and you, if we all did, and say, you know what? This is a study that I can really receive. I know I can. You know, I wake up in the morning and um, I'll share this with you. Right away, the devil starts putting thoughts in my mind. I don't know if it happens to you right away. And so, you know, I, I made a determination in my life. I will not go to Facebook. I will not check my emails. I will not look at the news. Um, if my wife talks, tries to talk to me, I tell her no. Um, <laughs> no, I have to wake up early enough. I try to anyways. And my kids I don't have to worry about because they're usually resting, if I could just put it that way. <laughs> But man, when I wake up in the morning, I tell you what, even Chip, I say, no, not right now. I wake up in the morning and I just want to hear from God. See, I don't know, maybe for you it's a nighttime or I don't know, afternoon, but for me it's the mornings. And I pray that you would have that in your heart, that we would really seek the Lord. Do we really trust the Lord? And I've I've just noticed that that, you know, when I do that, it just changes everything. It really does. Trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. 
Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him, he is ever faithful. Trust him, for his will is best. Trust him, for the heart of Jesus is the only place to rest. Amen? Amen. Why don't we have, uh, Fernando, will you come up and close us in prayer? Come on up, bro. You know, I found out today that he had an infection, and he lost 15 pounds. Are you doing okay now? I'm okay. All right. He's such a blessing, man. Um, but uh, thank God he's okay. He's better. And here, come over here, and you can you can pray. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here, Lord. Listen, this wonderful message, this news you you give to us, Father God. Put us in our heart, Lord, and to deliver to somebody else. They waiting for it, Lord. Father God, thank you for our pastors. Thank you, my Lord, for uh, the whole ministry right here in Calvary Chapel, Monte, my Lord. Thank you to everyone right here, Lord. My Lord, and uh, we thank you, Lord, for everything you you bring to our house, to our families, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord, for uh, for my family. Thank you for all the work you've been doing in this ministry right here, Lord. Father, it's just like the message said, you know, it's just so, so beautiful just to trust in you. And this morning, my Lord, when I when I wake up, I I feel that way. Thank you for everything, Lord. Bless everyone in this place, Lord. Give them give them merciful treatment, my Lord. To everyone, to the kids out there in the uh, kids ministry, Lord. To the teachers, thank you for everyone, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.